The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 191 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. Before we get into the conversation, we do have a new five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to Brenda Mon for your wonderful review. Brenda says, loved your talk with Ryan. Thank you so much. Please do more on addiction. And of course, Brenda is referring to episode 185 with Ryan Evans, his story going from prison to baptism. And Brenda, I completely agree. Ryan is an incredible soul. That was such a powerful uh, conversation, and he is just an amazing role model for us all of what the Savior can do for us. So thank you so much for your kind review. My guest on the show this week, Susan Madsen, is a speaker, she is an author, and she is an expert in women's leadership. I loved talking to Susan. Uh, The first half of the show is more about her life, and then the second half of the show, we dive pretty deep into issues with women's leadership and how to raise stronger daughters, and I was just incredibly inspired by Susan. Her energy and her knowledge. She is an incredible leader herself, and you are just going to love this conversation. And coming up this week in my Latter-day life, it's easy like a Sunday morning. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, my guest is a globally respected women's leadership scholar and author, and is the founding director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project, Susan Madsen. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. I am thrilled to have you on. I have so many questions about the work that you do, the very important work that you do. But before we get into all that, we've got to get to know you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up. Oh, that's a big question, especially at my age. <laughs> so, um, I was raised in Northern Idaho and in Utah, and I, I actually have uh, six brothers and I have no sisters. People ask me, well, you must have been raised with a bunch of sisters to, to have such an interesting, you know, in girl, an interest in girls and women. And then I say, here's a picture of my siblings. Boom. And then it's just me and six, six big, you know, men, brothers. And so that is something that, and I've studied how sibling order and how your upbringing really builds who you are and and your identity and so forth. So I brag about my six brothers. They're great, great guys, stake president in there, some bishops, you know, various kinds of things. But actually, my father was a seminarian institute. Mm, wow. Person. So I was really, uh, he started institutes and seminaries in different parts of the country. So, so I know my doctrine really well. So where do you fall in with your brothers? So I have one older and six younger. Wow, and actually, okay. 
yeah, the one 10 years younger has just was released from being a state president. And then I have one that's actually 20 years younger. Most of us were raised together. Um, you have a brother 20 years younger than you. Yeah. My parents kept saying, there's one more. And I'm like, it's going to be a girl. And then it was boy. So um, that is wild. Um, what were you into growing up uh, up in uh, northern Idaho? Northern, you know, I being raised with brothers and I, I, I just was raised as an athlete. Uh, we we lived right in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho by a mountain and we climbed a lot. I climbed trees. Uh, we rode horses, but we did lots and lots of sports. We have a lot of listeners around the world. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, one of the most beautiful, I mean, a true vacation destination. And my, yeah, my dad was asked to go there to, to start Latter-day Saint Institute. So call for college students um, up there. And, and for the first year, we had Institute in our house. Um, and so all the people, young adults from all over that part of the state, Sandpoint, I don't know if you, I can't even, Post Falls, I can't even remember some of the cities, would all show <laughs> up at my house um, when I was a teenager for a year. So I have some good memories. It's yeah. just a beautiful place. And then then he moved down to, to Moscow um, to work in the Institute there. Yeah, so. Moscow, Idaho, wild. So did your dad being a seminary and institute teacher, did that spark a love of study of the gospel? Absolutely. It sparked a few things. First of all, I loved what he did. I loved that he created new institutes, that he got to do really interesting things. So I have to say, when I looked at my mom's occupation, she was a stay-at-home mom. And I was the only daughter and I still don't like to cook and sew, but she worked really (laughs) hard on me. And, um, and then when I looked at, you know, my dad, I I always found creating things, his entrepreneurial kind of starting things, organizing things. So, so different. I I just really appreciated that, but he did, I was always taught, um, even in high school, I took an institute class, but he asked me to always take two institute classes each semester, which I did for the two years I was there. And then I went down to one when I went to BYU. But I, I did take institute classes from my own father and not not always from my father. John Lund, if you know that name. Oh, was, yes, of was, course. Yes, he he was my bishop back in the day. Wow. Um, I, and he he also taught. I took classes from him. My favorite story, I'm off it a little bit, but you'll appreciate this. My favorite story about John Lund, I was the Laurel class president when I was a junior in high school. And I had a rough, it was a rough town. And mostly all the Latter-day Saint young women drink. <laughs> like they would go out to the cake. And I, I just remember the junior prom, I came into the Bishop Lund's office after the Sunday after, and I just was sobbing. I was like, okay, there was only me and one other young woman who was not drinking. And the rest of them, you could just tell. I'm, and I remember saying, I just put my head down and cried. I'm like, I'm a failure as, as a Laurel president. And he's like, Susan, you're not a failure. It's not your fault. <laughs> oh, so, anyway, oh was, wow. It was, you know, a different place to grow up. But I loved, I loved that. Growing up in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of definition culturally about roles. 
first of all, did you get those messages yourself? And then secondly, did it spark something back then or was it later? Interestingly, I was raised in a very traditional family, like you can imagine. Um, My father was in church leadership and did seminaries and institutes. My mother stayed at home. I never expected to work full time. I never expected that at all. I really felt like like I was preparing to to solely be a mother and raise my kids and do all of that. Yet, in my patriarchal blessing, I talked about the importance of education, the importance of of learning how to speak and do doing those things. So all I knew was that I needed to do what God needed me to do to prepare mm. for whatever. But I had permission to make sure I went through college. And I saw my father when I was eight, he got his master's degree. When I was 16, we moved to BYU from Northern Idaho for a couple of summers. And he was on campus at BYU. And we went around campus and swam in the pools and did all of the fun stuff that they did. And I just knew. So I saw his example of getting his doctorate degree. And in my mind, as when I started, I just knew that that was the direction I needed to go. Yet, I just knew that was preparing me, but had no plan, which is very common, that I would use it for paid work or anything like that. Um, And I really believed, you know, and I believed in in more of a in-the-box kind of a good Latter-day Saint woman looks like this and, and that. Yet, when I started having kids, I'm going to be kind of vulnerable here. I just thought that all of a sudden I would enjoy staying home with kids and changing diapers and cleaning up, throw up into those kinds of things. Um, and, and that I would get this joy and satisfaction from that. And I, I really went pretty much for two years into a depression and I had two kids quick while my husband was finishing his master's degrees. And I just remember one day on the phone calling my mother and saying, where is the joy? Mm. And she said to me, and I will always remember this and appreciate it. It's in the moments. She said, you are doing important work. It's in the moments. But as soon as we were able to move within months, I started a master's degree and I had one class on a Friday and Saturday that I went to. It was a counseling class or something. And I got home Saturday night and I was like alive. I was like so excited. I was like, tell my husband everything I was learning and and just talking fast. And he had tears and he said, you're back. You're back. So it was really situational mm. depression. It was situational that, that I needed something that I didn't know I was going to need, that I needed my mind to be busy in things. I'm a very much achiever on the strengths finder <laughs> scale where you check off lists that maybe, you know, and after a few more years and some other kids, I, you know, my husband and I just sat down and said, your life is not going to be the exact box that you thought it was going to be. Because, you know, I basically, I'm just going to say it. If I would have had the, the life that I had seen my mother have, I would just have to be heavily medicated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I 
know. I probably shouldn't have said that on this show, but, but no, I mean, and and we do have a lot uh, in the state of Utah. We're high on antidepressants for women and for Latter-day Saints. And what I realized is I want to be a mother. I want to raise kids and not, or, and, and yeah, I want to contribute. I want my mind busy. I want to be engaged in the community. I've always been engaged in the community. Uh, I want to do these things and I'm different. I'm different. I noticed I was really different on my mission because I played basketball with the elders in Tampa, Florida. And they would like, why is this sister playing? But they all got used to me. And I thought, maybe I'm not like everybody else. And maybe that's okay. Maybe that's more than okay. Maybe it's wonderful to discover who we actually are. Because I do think a lot of times we get into this, I have to be this way. And it's a wonderful thing. And I think it's intimidating to some people. You you served your mission in Tampa. What did you do between high school and your mission? Because, uh, you know, back in our day, I would say it was you didn't go till you were 21. So you had three years there. What so did I you do in between? Two, I went straight to college. What I knew, I lived in a college town by then of Moscow, Idaho, where the University of Idaho was. Mm-hmm. And I knew we just went to college. We We just did that. And so I graduated from high school, went to college for two years, and then always planned my dad's rule. Um, he's passed now, but his rule was spend two years at home after, after high school. And so, um, and, and my brothers didn't keep to that too much, but <laughs> I did what I was always obedient. I taught, you know, I did that. And then I went to BYU. I was saying, now I can go to BYU, went to BYU for one year after that, then went straight on a mission, um, and then came back directly and, did another year and a half or two years, I think, at um, at BYU to finish up my degree. And actually, after my mission, I taught at the MTC. So that's oh. another little nugget of things. Um, and you know what? About a month ago, I was giving a speech uh, at at Southern at SUU, Southern yeah. Utah University. And this man came up to me. He said, I know this is a women's, but I saw your name and I knew your maiden name or didn't, I knew your married name. And he said, I was a missionary in your district. (laughs) Oh, really? I said, was I a real, I was like a really strong, like move. We, I got lots done. I wanted all my missionaries at that time to have everything memorized. I said, I was kind of a slave driver. And he's like, you were, but we knew our stuff when we got out of there. So that's a little bit about my personality, I guess. Did, did you love your mission? I did love my mission. I really, I had, I flipped really quick to be a trainer and then I trained many missionaries, but I had some really unique companionships. My mission president trusted me a lot and gave me some, um, I had one month, I made it one month with a older sister who had been a Jehovah witness. <laughs> wow. And, and I, I, it was, it was a little, I walked away some, from some doors with, with her. Um, I had a sister with some mental challenges um, and one that I loved dearly. We still stay in touch who had down syndrome. 
and oh, I helped her word by word mm. memorize every single um, and she liked to cook and I was good doing the dishes. So um, <laughs> <laughs> perfect partnership. Yeah, and yes. it was it was good for me. So I really he did give me kind of some challenges. Well, not kind of he did give me some challenges, but I also um probably had my most fun companion right at the end. She was six foot two out of the University of Georgia basketball player. So I had someone to play basketball with. That um, is and she was awesome. much better than me, but much better than me. <laughs> so I really had, and and by the way, I did a massive study about three years ago, two, three years ago on the leadership development gained by sisters who serve missions and documented hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of voices on how they developed leadership and how they use it today. So I think I gained a lot from those hard times, from the good times. Come home from your mission. Um, did you go right back to school then, you said? Yep. I immediately went back to school, you know, after I actually extended my mission by three weeks. So I didn't have an in-between too much to get through December. And they just put me on the mission home and let me tract or whatever uh, for the last couple of weeks. And then I came home for a little bit and then, yeah, just went straight and finished college. And And I'll have to tell you that um, my parents, of course, are big prayer. We're my mother's still alive, prayed a lot. And um, I really didn't have a desire like most young women to get married right away. Mm. I really resisted it because I wanted to get a master's degree. I had this whole list of things I wanted to do. But my parents uh, started praying, I think, really hard for me. <laughs> I started dating my husband and I broke up with them. And I'm like, I don't want to get married yet. And and I, I had total faith that it that I was from my patriarchal blessing, from what I was taught. I didn't worry about it like my roommates did. And, but um, yeah, I was teaching at the MTC. You didn't ask me this, but you might find this funny. Um, I was teaching at the MTC and I, I got revelations so easily and I refused to pray about whether I should marry him. <laughs> I totally refused. I had all these goals and, but um, were you just I, worried that the answer was going to come back? Yes. Is that, yeah, is that the yeah. avoidance of prayer? And he, he really didn't match the list I had in my scriptures of who oh, I of thought course. I was going to marry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and my wife have that in common. Oh. So yes, <laughs> I had things. It was kind of a joke list, but I had things like he doesn't wear glasses. His father's a stake president. His father's not even a member at the church. But <laughs> anyway, it, it was a list that I should be embarrassed about. I should, um, but, but I love you know, it. I did tell my husband that I was going to pray about it. And then my roommates heard. And I don't know what happened, but my whole roommates cleared out so I could pray one night. <laughs> like everybody, she's going to pray finally. About this. <laughs> this was a big event. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. But I'll tell you, by the time I got off my knees, I had no doubt and have not had a doubt, even though my husband's a pain on occasion. <laughs> of course, that's what we do. Um, and just had that big crashing thing from the Lord. You know, you don't get that all the time. But I think he he said, I'm going to have to give this to Susan because she's beautiful, a hard um, one to handle <laughs> um, and uh, just move forward. That is such a beautiful story. 
What did you get your bachelor's in? Um, in speech, it was called speech communication education. So okay. it was a combination of secondary education. So being able to teach junior high and high school and in speech and debate. And, and when I taught junior high, I went and taught for a year and a half after I graduated, before I started having kids. I also directed plays, <laughs> taught English, and uh, did uh, some coaching. And so I had a, quite, a, quite a combination. But I loved that year and a half, too, teaching junior high. That is awesome. Where did that take you from there? So um, after that was the time. So I was teaching in Murray at Hillcrest Junior High School. Mm-hmm. And then, then was pregnant that whole full year. And then I was just going to stay home and, and can and cook and stuff. That's, yeah. that's what, which I love when people find joy in those things. I just don't. Um, yeah. But um, I, then I went through those couple of years yeah. that I told you about. Right. And then as soon as I emerged from that, we lived in Portland, Oregon. My husband got his first job out of college and I started at Portland State with my master's in exercise physiology and wellness actually what really i know i know it it i my minor was coaching and physical education but i did speech and debate in that first degree and really was always into movement and activity and i knew that i you know what i did both of my other degrees was just look at every degree that was in the place that was close so i could have kids and do it. And my husband had his job, right? And, you know, and I think I had three that emerged that were interesting, looked at the coursework. And this was the most flexible. And I actually loved it. And I started down the path of every paper I wrote for every class was about women's wellness in some ways. Mm. So stress management for women, osteoporosis for women, pregnancy and exercise was my thesis. So that's when I really started down the path of being really interested in, in studying women and helping women. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I have to say that I'm skipping forward a little bit, but my master, my doctorate was in what's called human resource development, not HR, okay. not compensation, not staffing, but the development of people. So training development, adult learning, organization development, leadership development, career development. That's my joy is to see people progress. And so my first degree was speech, interpersonal communication, communication. Second, your physical health. Got counseling classes, mental health. Third, now human development. How do you make people better? The combination of the three, even though they look so weird and they were not strategic in terms of, I didn't have a plan. My plan was honestly to do what God wanted me to do to prepare for the life that he could see for me and just to trust everything else. And now when I look back, I am 
always speaking. And I mean, I, I have five to 10 speeches a week and always bringing in pieces of all three of those degrees, your physical health, your mental health, your you know stress management kinds of things. Um, all the interpersonal communications work that I did. And then the human you know, resource development. I'm all, I'm using everything. When did you decide that women's leadership was your mission in life? Well, I started down the path of really figuring out, like I said, years ago in my master's program, which I was still in my early thirties at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that kind of stuck with me. So and then when I was at the University of Minnesota, I was the only doctoral student that had four kids. <laughs> okay. So I had oh, just, just with the kids. So I had two kids. Then I got a master or a master's. Then two more kids. We moved to Southern California. Um, and I was really study president, did different things there. And then, um, you know, that's where, where my kids kind of came, came along. And then I started my doctorate with four little kids. So they were three to 11 when I started my doctorate degree. Wow. And so I was the only one they knew who could teach the work family relationships class for the university of Minnesota. (laughs) So I taught that and really got back to you know, the life, family, work, family kinds of topics. I think it was when I was in my doctoral program a couple decades, and then we moved to Utah that I remember checking out BYU and saying, do you have a job share? I don't want to adjunct. I actually want a, and they're like, we don't do that. And, um, and I do a bunch for free for BYU now. But then this position at Utah Valley University mm. popped up and I hadn't planned on really working full time. And then looking at, you know what, I can be in the office a couple of days a week when I teach, but I can be home. I can be working at home. I get up early. I can do kids. So I did it all with a little help after school a couple of days a week, but was able to just swing, swing it through the years. And I'll tell you, my it's, it's when you think back to what I'm able to do and how I'm influencing now, I started at the time that I needed to start right. to get the publishing out, to get the kind of the respect and influence to be where I'm at now. And five years off, you know, even later would not be the time. I mean, yeah. it's just interesting when you look back and, and things seem so random but they're not. There's a right. plan. Yeah. And you, you got what you needed in your own life, which had you not gotten that, how are you going to help people to find what they need yeah. in their lives? So I think there was definitely, I mean, there was a plan behind all of this. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Utah Women in Leadership Project. Well, I started, so I started down the path of just doing um research, but about a couple of years at UVU, I really felt totally called to start studying women's leadership. So I started interviews with top women leaders, governors around the United States. My dean helped me find some funding, and that really pushed me into the women's leadership stuff specifically. 
Now, I started speaking around why college was so important for women to become leaders because of the global. I actually did research in Abu Dhabi and Dubai and China in Eastern Europe. And I've been I've had lots of opportunities to do research. And then the commissioner of higher education, who had been my president at Utah Valley University, he came to me 13 years ago um, and said, I really want you to do some research in the state on why more women are not going to college and graduating. We're well behind the national average. Mm. And I said, well, do you want me to just do it or do you want to change effort? And he's like, whatever you want to do. (laughs) And I'm a bit of a change agent. So um, 13 years ago, almost 13 years ago, it's 2009, January. I said, okay, I'll look into that by that summer, by, well, by, March, I started the Utah Women in Education initiative or project, I think I called it. And I thought it was going to be a year or two. And then people, I started getting people all over the state enthused to change the language. We did research that has changed the language in, in Utah of how we talk to girls and boys about research, about graduating, not just going to college and different things. And then I thought it was going to end and then it didn't more research requests. And then even five years ago, I'm like, I need to finish this. I need to close the loop on this because I want to do more global work. And um, honestly, every time I really prayed about it, um, and I've had some major revelation come in, in major, one was on an airplane coming, a direct flight from Paris to Salt Lake City, Um, where I needed inspiration and I had the whole seat in front of me, like all my laptop, my scriptures. Back then we had scriptures, you know. (laughs) I do remember that. (laughs) Do you remember that? Um, And and spent uh, that trip about three or four hours with direct revelation coming from from God to to my plane. (laughs) My plane. (laughs) He Um, found you, yeah. Yeah, so... So I just started down that path and have felt continuously like I couldn't shift and needed to be there. And then just a year and a half ago, um, USU had been asking me to to really bring that project up because it was a really good match with what USU, USU is an extension. They have extension, which means they it's statewide. They have mm-hmm. campuses all over the state and really wanted to put some support in into that. So I still have a great partnership with Utah Valley University, but Utah State is a good place for me. And it's a place where, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I will, that they let me do what I want. So <laughs> UVU is good about that too. And what I feel wonderful. called to do um, and my work that I do with the paycheck extends well beyond into my community service, into my community work. And it's all one kind of mass of, of, um, you know, work on, on women in the church, on women in Utah, women in the world. And I, I've been lucky to be able to do, do work at, at, Capitals of countries, Argentina. I uh, did a training in Argentina at the house, the president's palace for women politicians and uh, and how to strengthen their impact in Argentina. I've 
worked with the cabinet of the president of Lithuania on women's issues um, in the House of Commons, um, in different places in the Middle East, um, in different places. So even though I do Utah work, I still feel this call to do work for women globally too. So it's been a real hard, hard thing because I said I should do this or this. And the message from God has been, no, it's this and this. And wow. I, so I want to get a little bit into picking your brain a little bit. We are a Latter-day Saint focused show. There are times where it can feel, I think, to some of our young, especially young, but even not necessarily just young, but mothers and wives where it feels like goals are in conflict. What advice do you have for women who are going through that? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, one piece is, piece of advice I give is is personal revelation is at the core of everything. It is. Um, there's so much pressure to look like this person, or you know, everything on social media. But what matters is what God needs you to do. And that personal revelation is needs to be above all because our lives look different. I beat myself up for years that I wasn't like other Latter-day Saint women, that I had too much, many aspirations. And, and Julie, Dr. Julie Hanks calls it aspirational shame. So when women feel like, well, why do I want to do these other things? Why do I feel drawn to these when I need to be in this box? And And maybe throughout time, that box has worked. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work. I write about this in my new new book. And I have three, I'm just going to give you my three quotes that I've used for about five years when I do firesides. 2015, before he was the prophet, President, um, or, you know, Nelson said, um, this generation of women is, is unique and different than generations of all time. And that comes with responsibilities. And it comes with, you know, different things, but you are, you, you are different than other generations. And then Bednar in 2014 said, we can't keep doing things in the church though, as we've always done them. And then I love Sherry Dew's quote in, in the women in the priesthood, the moment we learn to unleash committed covenant-keeping women, the church will change overnight. So this generation of women is not mm. like every other generation. Things are going to change. And when we can unleash the confidence and the voices and what women in this church, especially covenant-keeping women who are committed to the Lord, committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we can learn to unleash that goodness and those voices into the world, things will change. And with those three and with other quotes that I pack into my book, I have, I know, and I get those promptings from God, that to move the church forward in the way that it needs to be. And right now I work with a couple of 70s in Europe and the church is stalled over there. And there, these two 70s I work with, they're so committed that 
if we can get the women in the communities, the women of the church, that's what will change. That's will things will change in terms of people joining the church. It's women and men working together in more equality with those voices that we need moving forward. And so I kind of throw that out, Sean, to say, you know, and I've gone through an evolution or an evolution myself. I beat myself up. I have a traditional upbringing. I've just kind of let it go. And, and some of my kids are really stinky right now. (laughs) They're young adults and, and moving on. And, you know, I could, I could spend all day beating myself up. I didn't do things wrong. I should have been more in the box. My kids would have turned out better, whatever it is, but what what has come to me is that is just all crap. I'm just going to say it because it doesn't help us. It is compassion. It is feeling, being kind to yourself. It's forgiving yourself. That's what matters. And that's what the Lord needs us to do to just, here we are, we're going to do our best. We're going to be on our knees for, with our kids, for our kids. Right. But we need to do what God calls us to do. And as women, I believe we're called as, as men are, but women are called to mother. And that's one calling. That's not our only calling as women. Every woman and every man has other callings too. And if we don't prepare ourselves as women to have confidence, to have our education, we can't be prepared for our other callings. Right. And we don't know what those are when we're just coming out of college. We just have to go forward with faith and take one step in front of another and prepare for a future that only God can see for us. Mm. I love your wisdom and your passion is absolutely beautiful, Susan. What advice do you have for moms? And I think especially for dads to raise strong daughters. Oh, my gosh. My book that just came out. Is the well, that's answer. the next thing we were going to talk about. So, if you <laughs> okay. want to talk about the book, it's now, called we can. "My My Fu- Future Only God Can See for You: A Guide for Teen and Young Adult Women on Preparing to Lead." It's really a book. I mean, I've been thinking about all this for 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 twenty years, you know, and I, I and it it takes all this knowledge and then adds the church twist on it. But that's what it is about. And it's good for, it's probably 15 to 25 is the sweet spot age for this book. Um, however, I think any age and any father would would uh, would appreciate uh, knowing the information in the book. I really um, have, you know, I start, and this, I'll tell you how I start the book because it goes right to your question, Sean. And I have the first chapter is God needs you. So we need to help young women and young men, right? Understand that God needs us all. And he doesn't, and none of us are alike. None of us. I mean, there's billions of people that have lived in the world. But if you understand neuroscience, if you look into every one of us is unique and we're distinct and Heavenly Father has made our brains, and I call it head, heart, and hands, our way, the way we think, how our hearts, what we're passionate about, what, we're, what we want to do, and then our hands, what we're good at, what we want to move forward. He has made each of us so different. And helping young women and young men understand their uniqueness to God, mm. that their call will be unique. 
and that God needs them in the church. So, uh, so many people still think women should play a back seat or the cultural, well, you don't need to go to college because you're just going to be a mom. I hate that term, just a mom. Know, that's, that's a that's big, the worst. big, um, but, you know, we are, we've just got to raise our daughters with more aspirations to, to first of all, read the learn the doctrine just as much as sons, you know, we all need to, with the mission age changing, we're, we're doing that a little bit better. We need to know, we need to understand equally personal revelation, but we need education. We need college degrees, whether we work outside the home or work, plenty of work with kids is a lot more work sometimes than working for pay, right? Um, All of those things. So I really, that those first, what does leadership mean? That God needs them. Why women and men should lead together. Those are important conversations, all of those to have as our daughters are growing up. I'll tell you, Sean, and I have a granddaughter right now that's two and a half and absolutely delightful. Oh my gosh, is she just, <laughs> I have a grandson that's five that's delightful too, but I watch her and I'm trying so hard not to say, Oh, she's the cutest little thing. I'm trying not to focus on appearance because girls, we focus on appearance from the start. And Mm. that is a real problem. We do because it's all about looks. And you might know in Utah that we really have been ranked as one of the highest in cosmetic surgery and plastic surgery um, compared to other states where it's really about our outside, which we know. It's not. It's about what's inside. It's about what we do, not how we look. Mm. And so that's, I'm going all over here, but really getting into the challenges, the social media, really learning all those, but working with our daughters on confidence, on going to college and graduating, on their calling and purpose, those conversations are important. So I really have a guide. I call this book a guide. And in a couple of months, I have a workbook that's going to come out where you can um, actually have activities and work through all of those. So, oh my gosh, I could give you so much advice. And uh, just from all of the research I've done, but, you know, helping, I think at the foundation really helping. You could do the same thing for your sons, right? Helping them understand God's love, you know, God's love, their uniqueness. I say God's love because I'm struggling with one of my kids right now who is a return missionary. Probably shouldn't say that, but, um, but I think he has lost. He doesn't believe God really Mm. loves him to give him some of his trials. So all of those things are important. That identity. um, I don't know. I love There's a lot of work to do though, Sean. There's a lot of work with young men to do. There's a lot of work with young women, but young women are getting the social media, the pressures with appearance and looks, the body image issues, the, um, you know, the research that has come out that the more time you're, daughters spend on social media, the more depression, mental health issues they're going to have. All of those things just are a perfect storm for taking girls and women down in a lot of ways. 
Um, For sure. And we I, can't do that. We can't let it. that happen, though. We can't. We've got to do everything within our power to teach them deeper, deeper, that they are daughters of God. Yeah. They can say that. They can repeat that. But if they believed it in true, true depth, they would not be struggling as much with so many pressures. They would have be a rock. But how do we do that? I don't have all the answers. Maybe Sean does. Maybe uh, you've got you've got a <laughs> lot of them, though, Susan. And I know right now our audience is chomping at the bit. How do they learn more? So give us some areas. First of all, where can we find the book? Every every place. Uh, it's going to be in Costco soon too. <laughs> um, Wonderful. But Amazon. Um, there's an there's a couple more Susan Madsons. There's a one that has an A in the middle. So if you search Susan R. Madsen, you get all my books, and most of them are scholarly. This is actually my first religious. I've written some other pieces on on um, religion. I actually have a piece coming out in BYU Studies soon Beautiful. on women and running for office, political office. But this book, yeah, a future God only God can see for you. If you a just future search only that. God can see for you, and yeah. it's Madsen with an E. That's important to yes, point out. M A D S E N. And then if people want to look you up, is it just best to do a Google search for you and to find all yeah. your resources? Actually, I have a, a website that it says a future only God can see for you.com that leads you right to that book site. And I have other activities on there and different things. And you can get to my email as well. Um, oh, that's but great. I, I love this book. I have to tell you that uh, I, I start working by three in the morning. I have lots going. However, I, in March, I just, this Cedar Fort Publishing had been bothering me to do this book for a while. And I just felt that I needed to just block out days and somehow I would be able to, to write this. And in seven and a half weeks, I wrote the entire book and not that I'm cool or anything, but I felt like I was, you know, a tool in God's hands to write something that that could be meaningful um, and that that people needed at this time in history in 2021, almost 2022, um, to help just unleash this this um, this wave of girls and women working alongside boys and men equally um, that will help move the the church forward in different ways. I love it. This has been just fascinating, and I love the work you're doing. We're going to wrap things up today with the question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, Susan, what does being a member of the church mean to you? It, it really means everything to me. I was raised in the gospel, and every day through prayer, through discussion, through my continuous thought about priorities and purpose and my call, um, I do the work I do because, because I feel called by God to do it, whether it's part, part of it I get paid for in a paycheck, but my community service. And I'm okay not having to cook meals for people. I'm okay doing my service in the way that I believe God needs me to. And so every day, every you know thing that I do, I, I have God in mind. Um, and so being blessed to be a member born into a strong, wonderful family 
uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, for me, it feels like a privilege, but it comes with responsibilities. And for me, doing what God needs me to do is so much more important than anything else in life. Um, I was just born with that testimony, and it's a rock solid in my soul, and I will go to the end of my life, continuing to try and make sure when I cross a, uh, go across that veil, I will be greeted by my Savior in, in, a, in an embrace that he's proud of me for the work I do. That is very solid in my life and in my testimony and in the work that I choose to do every day. Mm, I love it. She is a wife and a mother and a grandmother and a scholar and an author. I'm going to really accentuate the ands. I appreciate this. No. And an author no. <laughs> and a speaker and an absolutely amazing daughter of God, Susan Madsen. Thank you for sharing your latter day life with us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. And my special thanks to Susan Madsen. I was blown away by Susan and her passion and her knowledge of all things women's leadership. And I'm just so glad there are people out there like Susan who are really changing the narrative and strengthening our incredible women of this church and of this world. And Susan, you are doing an incredible work. Thank you so much. Uh, This week in my Latter-day Life, uh, last Sunday, was not anything unique. It wasn't that different than maybe how your Sundays often are, or maybe even always are. But uh, I got up very early last Sunday, or at least early for me. I'm not an early riser. But I got up just after 6 a.m. because I had a high council meeting at 7.30 on Sunday morning. And I got up, got dressed, headed over to the church, And we had the best high council meeting. We had a couple of missionaries report. Um, It was just really inspiring. And then we had a great discussion. And I love high council meeting. And it just kind of set off my Sunday on the right foot. And that ended at about 840. And I walked down the hall. Fortunately, you know, my ward meets in the stake center. So I walked down to our sacrament meeting. And our sacrament meeting starts at 9 And I was able to sit next to my wife uh, at 9 o'clock and enjoy our ward's sacrament meeting. And it was such an uplifting meeting. Actually, our next-door neighbor spoke and just gave the most beautiful talks. It was super inspiring. And then after church, uh, we went home for a bit and then came right back for tithing settlement. And we got to spend some time with our amazing bishop, and our bishop is our neighbor and a dear friend of ours, and I love tithing settlement. There's something wonderful about being able to acknowledge uh, that we have indeed paid a full tithe, and that's a real blessing. We went straight from tithing settlement uh, down the hall to another ward that was meeting at that time. Uh, to hear a young lady that we we used to be her Sunday school teacher. My wife and I were her Sunday school teachers. And we just love this young woman so much. And she has come home from a mission. And she gave such an incredible homecoming talk. 
and we were so inspired by it. And then as soon as she said amen, we had to jump up and run out to our car, and we drove straight over to the YSA ward, where we met with the young single adults and sat through their sacrament meeting. And what a blessing that was. That's uh, part of my calling in the High Council is working with the young single adults, and my wife is a young single adult specialist. So we sat with the young single adults and just had a really uplifting experience there in the YSA ward. Once we got home, uh, saw our son, and we all sat down and did third hour. We did Come Follow Me study and had just a beautiful discussion, watched a couple of great videos together, and uh, by then we were coming up on the evening. And, you know, it sounds, even as I'm telling you, it's making me tired just to tell you all these, these meetings one after the other. And yet, as I sat there looking back at my day on Sunday, I was surprised by how energized I was. I felt fantastic. I felt inspired and uplifted. And I think it was because there is energy in the Lord's work. And sometimes uh, Sundays can feel long. And especially, I know for those of you with small children, Sunday can be the longest day. Uh, But that particular Sunday, being able to go to meeting after meeting and spiritually being so filled and so fed, it was just awesome. I love the Sabbath. I find I get the most out of it when I put things in their correct order and in their correct place. When I really focus on serving the Lord and making the Sabbath truly His day, wow, the things that it does in my life are just incredible. What a blessing it is to belong to a church that teaches us the the true principles of the Sabbath day. And again, I don't always feel like that. I've had other times where after one or two meetings, I was wiped out and just needed to go to bed. And I do enjoy those quiet moments on Sundays when I don't have a lot of meetings also, when I can take a nap or just spend time with family. But there is so much joy to be had in serving in the church and in honoring the Sabbath and in fulfilling our callings and and in doing all the things that the Lord would have us do. What a blessing it is. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We really appreciate it. Again, if you know someone who would enjoy the show, If you could share this show with them and tell them about it, that is the only way that we grow, and we really appreciate it. The Latter-day Lives podcast was produced by Gene Chittister, social media by Skylar Fleming. I've been your host, Sean Rapier, and I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 